are beginning a brand new series this morning on the person of Joshua in the Old Testament as well as the book of Joshua. And uh, if you would like to open your Bibles this morning, uh, we're actually going to go just a little bit earlier than the book of Joshua to begin our message this morning. You can turn to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. And so if you are using one of the Bibles provided uh, in the seats in front of you and around you, there should be some Bibles there. Uh, if you're using one of those, those Bibles that we're providing, uh, you can just actually turn to page 115. So if you're using uh, a copy of the Bibles that we're providing, page 115 or Numbers chapter 13. Now we're going to get there in just a moment as we begin this series. But uh, over the next four weeks, and I, I promise I will do my best to keep it to four weeks. Um, if you know me and you've attended here for many time, we say it's a four-week series. Uh, sometimes and very easily that can become a six-week series, an eight-week series, a 16-week series. It's just really however we see it going. And so, uh, but I am excited for the next four weeks to begin to unpack uh, not only a sample, and I, I want to emphasize a sample of some of the things we see in the book of Joshua, but also uh, just the person of Joshua, who he was, uh, his character, his life, and also then again moving into the book of Joshua and talking about what do we see there that happens among God's people through his leadership, guidance, and direction. Uh, our desire, my desires, we begin this series as we are calling this Strong and Courageous Faith. What my desire is, is that we as a church, as followers of Christ, will grow in understanding and grow to know and realize that victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. So if you had to say, what's the point of this whole series? It's simply this, that we would realize that victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. That's kind of the, the under idea or the thesis of this series that we want to understand that victory in this life as followers of Christ comes through understanding we need faith in God and obedience to his word. And when we approach our lives, our days that way with this desire to have faith in him above whatever we see in our circumstances. Because that's really what we're talking about. We're going to have faith in God greater than faith in what we see. Greater than faith we have in ourselves. Greater than the faith we have in others. others. Our faith is in God. God alone above all things is where our faith rests as followers of Christ. And because our faith is in God and not in ourselves or others or circumstances, we can then be obedient to his word because we can understand that we can trust the word of God because we have faith in God. So again, we're going to spend four weeks going through this idea, unpacking this between now and the end of October. And what I want to do is I want to really encourage you to make a decision today. And I know I say this when we start a new series, but I really want to encourage you to do this. Make the decision today that I will be here the next four weeks. That no matter what comes into my schedule, this is a priority and I will be here the next four weeks. Now, maybe you're here and your work schedule conflicts with that. You really can't make that decision. I understand that. When I say this, I'm saying it to those of us that can be here, but maybe we don't block that time out and we allow something else to schedule our time for us and now we find ourselves caught up in something else. I, I saw a, a thing the other day, maybe it was actually a while ago, but I saw it again for the other day. And it basically said this, 
church and being involved in church should be the thing that we make, uh, we miss rather other things for. So being involved in church should be the thing that we miss other things for. Now, what usually happens is we miss church because of other things in our life coming up. But I love this mindset that, yes, things happen. We can't control everything. But as much as possible, we're going to be in the church. We're going to be in these gatherings so that we can grow in this understanding of our faith. Why? So that we would grow to understanding victory comes through God and obedience to his word. And what does that look like? That looks like strong and courageous faith. Strong and courageous faith is a faith that trusts in him and trusts in his word. Also, at the onset of the series, I do want to mention that usually Joshua and the ideas from the book of Joshua and the life of Joshua are usually used to motivate men to be courageous and strong. We hear this a lot. If you go to any kind of a men's event, men's ministry, men's conference, you're most likely going to hear a reference to Joshua 1.8. It's, it's going to be mentioned. It's going to be talked about. And, and so I understand that and I get that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, many Christian boys grow up with Joshua 1.8 on their wall, and that's great, that's good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But this series is not just for men. This series is for all of us as followers of Christ. To say, no, no, we all need to grow in understanding what it looks like to have strong and courageous faith. So to begin with, I want to step back again just a little bit before the book of Joshua and find an introduction to who Joshua really is. I want to discover who Joshua was and how or why God used him so mightily. Why is it that Joshua was used so greatly by the Lord to do so many great things and to lead the nation of Israel? And if you've never really gone deeper than what we're going to do in this series over the next four weeks, I encourage you, maybe starting tomorrow, I don't know what your devotional life looks like. I don't know if you get up in the morning and you, you read a little bit, you pray a little bit, maybe you listen to some worship music to get your day going. Maybe you do some prayer in the morning, but your majority of your Bible study is, is later in the day, maybe before you go to bed at night. That's a better time for you to, to really dive into God's word. Uh, I just want to encourage you, maybe do this. Get the book of Joshua, get a notebook or your tablet or your phone or something, and just read a chapter a day. Just read a chapter a day. Maybe it would be a chapter every couple of days, whatever your schedule would permit. And then just get that notebook out and don't worry about trying to figure out all the answers to all the questions you're going to have. Just start making observations. Just start writing down what's happening in the chapter. What's going on? Who are some of the people that are involved? What's some of the background here? Now, if you really want to go deeper, you can, you can pull out a commentary. Maybe you have a study Bible that breaks things down for you. But I just want to encourage you over the next four weeks, because we're not going to go verse by verse together through Joshua. We're going to pick out some major moments and major things. We're going to give you kind of an overview of the whole book. But I encourage you, maybe you would spend the next four weeks just reading through it chapter by chapter, making some notes, some observations, and allow God to go farther than just what we're going to do on Sunday morning. Because this is the beauty of our God. We gather on Sunday morning to corporately and collectively worship him. Amen. We get to sing praises to him. And you guys got to pick up the amens a little bit. Okay. It's, if we're going to get through this, I need a little motivation. Okay. I need a little encouragement. Uh, there you go. That's, that's a lot better. Yes. But we do. We gather together. Right. There's a purpose to this. We lift him up. We encourage each other. We pray for and with each other. This morning we're going to celebrate communion, which is honestly one of my favorite times that we get to kind of serve one another and have that unity, that bond. Uh, do you know that when you celebrate communion, you're doing something that connects you with 2,000 years of church history? 
that believers for, since the beginning of the church have gathered together in small gatherings and large gatherings and partook of the Lord's Supper just to remind themselves an act of worship all that Christ has done for us. And we get to do that this morning together. We can't do this by ourselves. We need the church. But what's amazing is when we leave this place in, in a little bit, maybe 45 minutes or so, I don't, I don't know. We'll see how we do. Sometime before maybe 2 o'clock when we leave here today. You know what's amazing is tomorrow morning when you wake up, you're not going to have to come here to meet with God. That you, right there in your, in your bedroom or in your prayer closet or at the dining room table or wherever it is, you can sit down with a copy of God's word and you begin to worship him and praise him and seek him. And the spirit who's been given to you through the gift of salvation will begin to teach you the word of God, explain to you and make you aware of the things that God's word says and you can worship him and then you do that every single day. Isn't this awesome? Every day you can do that. Then we gather next Sunday. You know what we get to do? We get to let all of that worship and all of that praise that we've been going through all week just pour out and just be an act of worship, not just for us and God, but for others. Because here's the thing, someone's gonna show up next Sunday that will literally have had the worst week of their life. They're not really in the mood to worship. They're not in the right mindset. They've got all kinds of stuff going on. Health concerns, job concerns, financial concerns. And then they come into this place and you bump into them in the lobby and God has been preparing you all week with that heart of worship and you're just overjoyed and you just walk, how you doing today? And they look at you honestly and say, I'm just not doing real good. But because you've been kind of in the Lord and, or in the word with the Lord and the spirit's been working, you can honestly just have that sensitivity to that. Put your hand on their shoulder and say, let's pray about this thing. That's the church. That's the beauty of what we have given to us through Christ. And so as we gather over the next four weeks, we get to take part in that. But don't think for a moment, this is all there is to the Christian life. If your Bible is only being opened, whether on your device or in actual paper form on Sunday mornings, you are missing out on all that God has for you. That's just, that's scriptural truth. But man, when we spend time with him, the way that he works in our hearts and minds. And I'll be honest, up until a few years ago, and even once in a while now, one of the hardest things as a Christian for me has been that consistent, daily, devoted, real study of God's word. It's for years, I would do three or four days, miss a couple days, do five or six days, miss a day, do a few days. And you're thinking, you're a pastor. What are you talking about? I'm not talking about studying for a sermon. There's nothing better. I love that my job is I get to come into this building, sit in my office, and just read and study God's word. Now, I know there's more to it than that, but I love that I have time to do that. So I guess, first of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to do that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that personal study. Do you know that more pastors than not that I talk to struggle with personal devotional time because they give so much of their time studying God's word, we almost think it's good enough? And it only really wasn't until just a handful of years ago that God began to work on my heart to say, no, if, if this is important to you, you'll make time to do it. And if you're not making time to do it, then it's not really important to you. Then I'm not really important to you. And that's just an awareness that you need to have. And I'm so thankful the Spirit brought that to my attention. Because really, we can say all we want, right? Oh, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. Well, do we really love him to the point of where it's evident in our lives? Or are we just giving lip service like Jesus says in Matthew where it's just empty? And so we can spend time in his word every single day. Maybe you would do that as you go through the book of Joshua. That wasn't even in my notes. That was all free. Congratulations. Okay. 
You don't got to put any more in the offering plate for that one. It was just given to you. So Numbers chapter 13, let's dive in and see and meet this person, Joshua, for the really the very first time. And so I'm not going to go through all the history of it, but we're going to understand a little bit here that, that these, these individuals, there's 12 individuals that are being selected to go into the promised land before it's the promised land, before it's their promised land, I should say, to the land of Canaan. And they're going to, they're going to spy out the land. They're going to check the land out to see what's really going on. 12 individuals are chosen. Joshua is one of them, another individual named Caleb, and they will stand apart from the rest. And so maybe you've studied the book of Numbers, you know this, but I love that we get to meet Joshua in this way. So Numbers chapter 13, look at verse 8. Of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun. Now you might say, well, that's not Joshua. Well, this is Joshua, and we're going to find that out here soon. Go to chapter, or chapter 13, verse 16. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Jehoshua, or Joshua, is going to be his name. Go over to chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. Chapter 14 of Numbers, verses 6 through 8. So chapter 14, verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, so again, we see the same individual. Joshua, the son of Nun. And Caleb, the son of uh, Jephuna, which were all, all, I'm sorry, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, or give it us a land which flows with milk and honey. Now, if you don't understand that when you study back and chapter, end of chapter 13, chapter 14, we're going to find out that of the 12 spies that were sent to the land, only two said, we can do this thing, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 said, nope, we can't do it. We can't overcome. There's too many great enemies. The cities are walled cities. The, the opposition is going to be so great. We cannot overcome these individuals. We can't win. We can't take the land. And this is why Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 14 react the way they do. When it says that they rent their clothes, it's an act of sorrow. It's an act of crying out. We're, we're shamed and we feel guilty for the people of Israel, what they're doing right now. God, we're crying out for forgiveness. And they're doing this as an act of sorrow because they're heartbroken that the people of God, the children of Israel, who have seen God do amazing things and heard stories of God do amazing things, leading them out of Egypt, leading them out of a bondage, as we've been talking about on Wednesday nights with Exodus study, that they don't even believe that God can give them the victory in the land that he promised he would give them. And so Joshua and Caleb stand in the midst of this crowd. Remember now, there's 12 individuals, only two said, yeah, we can do this thing. 10 of them said, no, we can't. And it seems as though the nation of Israel at the time sided with the 10. They agreed with the 10. And so Joshua and Caleb stood out and stood up for the Lord, even though it wasn't popular, even though it made them unliked. They were surrounded by individuals that maybe they even respected, that they looked up to, individuals that they maybe believed had great faith. And now when opposition comes, they're hearing, no, 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 we can't do this thing. 
We can't overcome. And can you imagine for Joshua and Caleb to hear people that they maybe respected or looked up to or they thought had faith, great faith, and they hear this and they're just, they're just heartbroken. They can't imagine what they're hearing. What are you talking about? Did you forget who our God was? And I love their response in Numbers 14, verse 8. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. We know what that's saying there. If the Lord is on our side, if the Lord is with us, then he can do this. Notice he didn't say we can do this if the Lord is with us. He said if the Lord delights in us, he will do this. He will give us this land. You see, Joshua and Caleb, specifically Joshua, were men of great faith, even in the face of opposition. You see, Joshua trusted in the covenantal promises of God. And we're going to unpack why that is and what, what took place in Joshua's life and what were the commitments that Joshua made to help him to stay focused on that. And here's my prayer, that we will come to agree with these commitments and understand the principles of these things. While, yes, this is written to a specific group of people at a specific time for a specific land, I'm not claiming that we are the nation of Israel. I'm not claiming that these covenantal promises necessarily relate to us or apply to us. A lot of scriptures in the Old Testament, people skip over the principle, take the idea and say, nope, in the same way, God will do this in our land. And we got to be so careful there because there are promises that were specifically to the nation of Israel. We take the principle of those things, see the character of our God, and we apply it through New Testament thinking and the word of God. And that's what we want to do this morning. How can we apply these things that we see in history of Israel to our lives today? Let's pray. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for your grace and love in our lives. And Lord, as we go through this message this morning, I pray that you would just instill in us a wisdom and an understanding that would come only from the Spirit. Because, Father, we want to take these principles that we see here in this Old Testament historical account of real people in a real time. We want to learn from these individuals, these situations. Lord, we want to learn the good and the bad. We want to learn what can we apply to our lives and what things should we learn to avoid based on the examples of history. And Lord, Bible history is no different than, than world history or national history. If we don't learn from it, we're bound to repeat the same mistakes. So I pray that we would be students of the word this morning, that we would hear from it. Holy Spirit, that you would apply it to our hearts and minds and to our specific situations as there's people in here, Lord, that I don't know what they're going through, but you do. I don't know the heart of every person here, what struggles they're dealing with, what hardships, what things are going on at home, at their job, in their own minds and hearts. Lord, maybe there's somebody here with a great health concern. Maybe there's somebody here with relational issues. And, and I don't know, Lord, but you know all of it. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply what we're going to talk about to those situations that we would trust you more in faith and be obedient to your word because that's when victory comes. And so, Lord, I pray, again, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, it's not about going to church or being a good person. It's about realizing our sin by the work of the Spirit. It's about realizing that we're all fallen into sin, that we all need grace and forgiveness, and that when we repent of our sin, turning from our sin, and trust Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can have eternal life, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. So I pray that somebody here that doesn't know that, Lord, I pray they would begin now to, to open their hearts and minds to you, to be led by you unto repentance, that they might turn from their sins and trust Christ. Father, thank you for this morning. 
And these that are here, for those that are watching online, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go over to Joshua now. Joshua chapter 1. So just really one book over. Go through Deuteronomy and into Joshua there. And we're going to look at a familiar passage here in just a moment. But Joshua chapter 1. So again, you were in Numbers. Go through Deuteronomy and then you'll find Joshua there uh, going to your right. And so Joshua is the first book of what we call the history books in the Word of God. And so the first five books of the Old Testament are called the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the books of law. We get into Joshua and the next book being Judges. And these are more the historical books accounting for us, historical narrative of things that happened in the nation of Israel. And so here we see Joshua was an interesting man, a man that stood out among the crowd. Him and Caleb both stood out even in the midst of opposition, even though it wasn't popular. And I want to ask the question, who was Joshua this morning? Who was Joshua and I, I, I believe that we can look to a couple summary points to understand who he was. The first thing we need to note is that he was a faithful leader. So who was Joshua? He was a faithful leader. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now again, remember when he's saying this book of the law, he's referring to those first five books of uh, the Old Testament. The book of this law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We're going to talk about that. Um, again, uh, Scripture often gets quoted and misquoted, misapplied many, many times, especially when it says prosper and success. People love those words that we would prosper and be successful. But many people don't really understand that through spiritual success comes also trials and, and difficult seasons as well. Verse 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Then Joshua commanded the office of the people, saying... So Joshua is now going to communicate to the leaders of Israel... Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess it. So we've moved forward a little bit. The children of Israel have gone through a time of judgment, but Joshua has been allowed to lead the people into the promised land. So that's what's taking place there. He's going to lead them in to the promised land, fulfilling the covenant that God gave to the nation of Israel. Joshua is a faithful leader. How do we understand that? Well, he led consistently. He was a faithful leader who led consistently. Coming into the promised land after wandering due to idol worship and disobedience, Joshua led the people of God to trust the word of God. Joshua led the people of God to trust the word of God. Now again, I need to say this. Joshua obviously is not sinless or perfect. Joshua was not perfect. He had his faults. We all have faults. Any Bible hero you pick, I don't know who your favorite Bible character is, but if you pick a Bible character as your hero, if it's anyone other than Jesus Christ, they are not perfect. Well, yeah, but Moses did this. Yeah, Moses had his issues. David had his issues. Peter had tons of issues, right? All these individuals, they did great things for God. But they had something that made them not perfect. And that's okay because, by the way, if we pulled the room, none of us are perfect either. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, Paul says. 
none of us seek after the truth. None of us seek righteousness. It is the work of God by the Spirit of God to draw us unto repentance. Because if it was up to us, we would always walk away from God every single time. Because we love the darkness and we reject the light. Why? Because our deeds are dark and we don't want them exposed to light. And so when we understand that, that we needed God to come to us, we understand that we are not perfect, that we are sinful, and we need forgiveness and grace. So Joshua was not perfect. So many people put leaders on pedestals and expect them to be perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect leader. All we can strive for as followers of Christ is to be faithful and consistent leaders as we lead for Christ. And now you might stop there and say, well, that's great for you, preacher. That's great for the business leader. That's great for the CEO, but I'm a stay-at-home mom. Who am I leading? What, What kind of leadership am I doing? That's a great question. You're leading your family. You're leading your community. You're leading your church family. Well, yeah, but preacher, I work in a factory. I mean, who am I leading? I have no position of authority in the church, no position of authority in my job. That's great. You are a leader in your home as a father, as a husband, as a man. Maybe you don't have children, but you're still leading as a man, young men in your church, other men in your congregation. How are you leading where you are? Because God has placed you where he's placed you to lead. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old, right? Supposedly talented in one area or extremely in, uh, uh, have an inability to do this or that. It doesn't matter what you think your talents are. If God has saved you, God will use you to lead whoever God has put around you. And so are you leading faithfully and consistently? I didn't ask, are you leading perfectly, but are you striving for consistency? Are you striving for faithfulness? Again, Joshua wasn't perfect, but Joshua led the Israelites by example to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith. When you read Joshua chapter 1, you're going to find out that God gives all these great encouragements to Joshua. He tells him to do all these things, and God is going to do all these things. And notice that before God does it, Joshua commands the people to get ready to cross the Jordan. God did not reveal exactly how he was going to do it. God did not reveal all the things that were going to happen in the land. He didn't say, here's the five-year plan, Joshua. Here's all the things that are going to take place. He just said, I am with you. And Joshua knew that was enough. He got up and he said, let's get ready because we're going over. See, that's a faithful leader to not just say it, but to demonstrate it practically. I do need to notice the key ingredient for Joshua's ability to lead in the right way. What was Joshua's key ingredient to lead in the right way? It wasn't that he was a charismatic leader. It wasn't that he had all the answers. It wasn't that he was perfect in all these things. We find the answer in Joshua 1 and verse 8. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The key ingredient to Joshua's faithful and consistent leadership is that he meditated on the word of God continually. What does the word meditate mean? We studied this on Sunday night a few weeks ago when we were looking into the book of Psalms. The the word meditate means to speak to ourselves, to speak to yourself the word of God continually. And it doesn't literally mean that Joshua spoke it to himself day and night audibly. What it means is he dwelled on the word of God continually. 
So when a situation arose and he wasn't sure what to do, he didn't go to someone else for help first. He didn't call Oprah. He didn't call Dr. Phil. He didn't go to the self-help section and get his self-esteem boosted. He went to God's word. He said, God, what would you have me to do in this moment? How would you lead me in this? Now, once he's sought God's word, now we go to others. I'd still avoid Dr. Phil and Oprah, but we go to others. And now we go to other followers and we say, how is God leading you? And, and this is what God is leading me. And how can we encourage each other? But so often we go to other people first and we leave God for last. But Joshua meditated continually on the word of God. Again, like I said at the beginning, this is a treasure. This book is unlike any book on planet earth. Because this book is living and active. When an author writes a book and he pens the words, it's the mind or the ideas of that author. And the ideas might move forward. The ideas might seem to live on because maybe it's a principle or a pattern that we can apply to other things and we go back and we quote it. But there is nothing like the word of God. Because the word of God, when read by a follower of Christ and the spirit of God within, will take the word of God and apply it uniquely to that very moment. Because it's living and active. It's also sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides us open before God. Meaning we can pretend and we can hide in the church like everything's fine. No, I'm good. Meanwhile, there's all this junk going on over here, but we're good because I can fool you. But when we get before this book and this spirit that lives within you and dwells within you through Christ, we are exposed. But the very same spirit that exposes us through the word of God makes us aware of the grace and the healing balm that is grace into our lives where now we're able to find restoration and redemption and forgiveness. See, the word of God is unlike any other book. And Joshua's key in leadership was not his ability to communicate, to win and influence people. That wasn't why he was a great leader. Because he knew the seven steps to this or that. It's because he gave himself to the word of God. See, that's what's going to give us the ability to lead faithfully and consistently. Are we perfect? No, but the word of God tells us that and also tells us how to seek forgiveness. You see, he demonstrated his trust in God's word with action. He demonstrated his trust in God's word with action. Joshua demonstrated strong and courageous faith by trusting in the word of the Lord with action. He put into action what God had said long before God said how he was going to do it. He trusted God. Many of us say we believe in the word of the Lord, but applying that word can be very difficult. Amen? Maybe not for you. It is for me. I'll amen that. That's fine. Maybe I'm preaching in the wrong church. I don't know about you, but there are times I read things in God's word and like, that's not my life right now. That's not how I would describe my faith. So it's obviously not a God's word problem. It's a me problem. So applying God's word can be difficult because this is... This is meant to draw us to dependence upon him. We're not supposed to read this and go, oh, I got that down. Reading this book is supposed to force us to go, I can't, but he can through Christ in me. And we drive ourselves to prayer and to seeking him and to more of understanding his word so that we might be the leaders God's called us to be right where we are in your homes, in your community, in your church, in your job. It doesn't matter where God has planted you. If he is in you through the spirit, he wants you to lead. And we lead faithfully and consistently. How? By demonstrating trust in God's word with action. So I want to ask you just quickly, you don't need to answer out loud, raise a hand, nod your head. I'll try not to even look at you while I'm asking this question. In what areas of your life 
Is God revealing that maybe you are not applying what you know the Word says? So I just want you to think about that for a moment. In what areas of your life, I know the areas of my life that God has made very clear to me that I've struggled over the years, days, weeks, minutes. In what areas of your life is God revealing that maybe you are not applying what you know the Word says? And the next question would be simply this. Why aren't we? Why aren't you? Why aren't you applying what God's Word says? I want us to realize the key truth that allowed Joshua the freedom to act on the word. What was the freedom that gave Joshua the confidence to put the word into action long before God revealed what was going to go down? Again, God did not lay out every detail of what lied ahead of Joshua's life, but he did, however, share a truth that made Joshua trust in any circumstance. What is that that God revealed? Great question. Let's look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. Verse 5 of Joshua 1. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor, what's the word, church? Forsake thee. I will not forget you. Why is it Joshua gets to, to verses 10 and 11 and just, hey, We're walking through Jordan. Get ready to go. I don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going. How is it that he was able to lead through all that's going to take place in the coming chapters? Because he trusted a key truth that God said, I will be with you and I will not leave you, forget you, or fail you. You see, God would never leave or forsake Joshua. And this gave him all the confidence he needed to face the unknown in faith because no matter what, God was with him. I want to bring our minds to two New Testament verses, if I might, again, applying the principle to us as followers of Christ. Two key verses that I think we need to look at because how is it that we as followers of Christ can face the unknown of what tomorrow brings? We don't know what tomorrow brings. The Bible says, don't boast of tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. So how can I possibly prepare for tomorrow when I don't even know what tomorrow holds? How can Joshua prepare for things that he doesn't even know what's going to happen? And if you've read the book of Joshua, it gets intense, and it gets intense quick. And it calls to question his faith very quickly. How is it that no matter what happens in November's elections, hear me, church, that no matter what happens in November's elections, we can stand and trust in faith to do what God has called us to do? How is it that no matter who sits in the White House, we can trust, we can be active in our faith? How is it it doesn't matter what happens in our circumstances, we can trust? Well, we have the same promise that Joshua had. Two verses, jot them down, Matthew 28, 20 teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, which in turn speaks to us as his followers today, that through Christ, through the Spirit, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Another translation would say, even to the end of the world. Amen. Another verse to jot down, because not only is he with us, he will also never forget us. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 tells us, Let your conduct or your lifestyle be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. 
How is it, church, that we can go into tomorrow with strong and courageous faith, not based in ourselves, but trusting in God through just believing and putting our faith in him because he has promised us that through Christ, he is always with us, even to the end of the world. And he will never leave us or forsake us. He will always be our helper. And so I will not fear what man will do to me. What's the worst that a man can do to me? Take my life. And all that is, according to the Apostle Paul, is gain. That to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so here we understand, how is it that Joshua had this faith? Well, he was meditating on the word of God. He was consistently speaking the word to himself. Well, what word was he speaking to himself? Yes, the law, the first five books. But I also believe he was reminding himself of verse 5 quite a bit. If it was me every morning before I got up and did the crazy thing that God was going to ask me to do that day, like we're going to talk about a couple weeks, march around a wall and then a wall comes down without touching the wall, that's pretty crazy. Every morning I would go, God, I don't know about today. I don't know how you're going to do this because you've done some crazy stuff. I believe you can, but I'm just going to remind myself again that you are with me. You said you'll never fail me. You said you'll never forget me. Man, what day would you live if you started every day like that instead of starting your day with the craziness of an alarm clock and commotion and chaos and fear and worry? What if you silenced all of that and said, no, 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 no. He is with me always. He will never leave me or forsake me. He is my helper. Why should I fear what man will do to me? I think that's a very different day. Does that mean things will only be good? No. So what does it mean when it says that you'll have success and prosper? It means spiritually you will prosper. You will have success spiritually, meaning God will be glorified in all that you go through. God will be pleased and will use you to glorify him. It has nothing to do, uh, verse 8, has nothing to do with how well you feel, the car you drive, the house you live in, or where you take your vacations. Has zero, absolutely zero to do with that. God is not interested in prospering you financially more than he's interested in prospering your character, your conduct, and your trust in him. That's where God wants to prosper us. And I believe when we prosper in those areas, we forget all about the lack of things we have in this world's eyes. So who was Joshua? Quickly. We have to get through week one or else it's going to easily be a five-week series. If we don't even get through week one, we're in trouble, okay? So who was Joshua? Well, he was a faithful leader. And he was also a foreshadowing of Christ. He was a foreshadowing of Christ. And I'll unpack what that means in just a moment. But he was a foreshadowing of Christ, meaning the Messiah. So how is that so? Well, first we see that he lived obedient faith. He lived obedient faith. And again, if you're taking notes, I greatly appreciate that. I pray it's an encouragement to you. If you miss anything or you want a copy of my notes, please email me, Facebook me, call the office, whatever. I'd love to give you just a copy of the notes. If you want a copy of the whole series when we're done, we can do that too. Whatever helps you in your walk with Christ, I would love to do that and come alongside you. Not that my notes are anything great. It's the word of God that we come and gather around to hear. Uh, But if something in print will help you, that's what I want to do. He lived obedient faith. Joshua lived obedient faith. In the Old Testament, we see foreshadows of Christ. Individuals or religious feasts and celebrations that draw our attention to the Redeemer to come in the Messiah. I'll give you an example of this. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but you can jot it down. John chapter 7 Verses 37 through 39 is a great example of this. There's many, but this is a great one. Uh, Jesus himself actually identifies one of these examples for us in John 7, 37 through 39. 
And basically in that passage, you're going to find out they were celebrating what's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. That's revealed in John 7 verse 2. And according to the Talmud, which is a religious book used by the Jews, they would carry water from the spring-fed pool of Siloam to the temple. And they would take this water, this pitcher, and they would pour it out on the altar in expectation of the coming Messiah. Another reference you could jot down would be Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, 16 through 19. So here we see this example. They take this water, basically, I'm just going to summarize it. And every day, for so many days, they would take this water from the pool, they would go to the altar, and they would pour it on the altar. And it was an expectation of the Messiah to come. Now, what's interesting in John 7 is the Messiah standing there on the last day of the feast. He's actually present, and as they're pouring out the water, some say they would do it seven times, and they would pour this water out. And when you read John 7, Jesus is standing. Remember, they're doing all of this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to prepare the coming of Messiah. And the Messiah is 10 feet away. And they don't even notice it. And as they're pouring out this water, Jesus, in this moment, chooses to shout. The Bible says, cry out. He shouts out to them that I am the living water. That who would ever come to me? can have their thirst quenched. I'm paraphrasing, but basically says, this is me. I'm the water that you need. You see, Jesus took this moment to remind them that you're practicing all this religious stuff and you're missing that I'm in the midst. And instantly when I think of that, side note, I think of how many times we gathered in church and he's in our midst. I know that he's with us in the spirit always, but when we come and gather, he's, he's our focal point. And we're so caught up in singing the songs and doing all this. And we're so distracted by what's for, for lunch after, what we got to do later on. Now you're thinking about lunch after. Apologize. We get all caught up in this. And we're doing the religious stuff. And we miss that the Messiah is right in front of us. I mean, have you ever done a Bible study, a devotional time, a prayer time? You finish praying and you're like, Lord, I don't even know if I acknowledged you in that. Because I just was so busy talking about what I need. You see, Jesus used this opportunity to remind us that all the Old Testament celebrations, feasts, even individuals like Joshua, pointed to Christ, the perfection of all those things. In a similar way, again, Joshua is seen as a foreshadowing of Christ, not that he was divine, of course, we already established he's human and imperfect, but that he was faithful in obedience in delivering his people. He was faithful in obedience in delivering his people, even in the face of great opposition, personal uh, struggle. Again, I don't think he was very popular. He was obedient to the word of the Lord through Moses, no matter what it cost him personally. How do you think the 10 spies responded when he stood and said, you guys are wrong, we can do this thing. We don't have to wonder. We see this in our day and age every day. When somebody goes against the majority opinion, they stand out for the wrong things, right? They're, they're targeted. And Joshua was okay with that. He was fine being singled out. He didn't care because his commitment was to God, not to men. He was a pleaser of God, not a pleaser of man. That's what strong and courageous faith looks like. We're more concerned about being accepted by God than he was about pleasing man. And in so doing, he obeyed. Charles Stanley said it well. I love this about the life of Joshua. Charles Stanley said this, listening to God is essential to walking with God. Listening to God, I don't mean audibly, I mean listening to his word, listening to the spirit move. Listening to God is essential to walking with God. God told Joshua, he says, to be brave and to trust him. Joshua obeyed 
and the rest is history. You see, Joshua lived obedient faith. He also experienced delivering faith. He experienced delivering faith. Joshua had faith and trust that God would deliver his people from the hands of their enemies and fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The name Joshua, maybe many of you have studied this out before, the name Joshua translates to God is deliverance. Joshua translates in the original Hebrew to God is deliverance. And in his name, we see the connection to the deliverance Christ provides through salvation. When we were received by Christ and accepted the salvation gift that he offered us, that he delivered us from self and sin and death and hell, and not because of us, but because of his loving gift, his initiation. We love him because he first loved us and we receive Christ and we are set free from the bondage of sin, death, and hell. And we are given a new life. We are delivered and set free from all bondage. That's what Christ provides. And in that name, God is deliverance. We see the connection between Jesus and Joshua. Jesus, the name in the original language, actually translates to salvation. In the original Hebrew, the names are different in spelling, but similar in concept of God providing the deliverance or salvation of his people. The angel told Mary, his name will be Jesus because he will deliver. He will save his people. In the same way Joshua delivered his people into the promised land. And we, through Christ, are delivered spiritually We are already in the heavenlies, Paul says. We are already citizens of his kingdom. One day we will leave this world and we will recognize the fullness of who we already are in Christ. God used Joshua and his leadership to grant deliverance to Israel time and again. From crossing the Jordan to three major military campaigns involving more than 30 enemies. More than 30 enemy armies, I should say. Three major military campaigns, more than 30 enemy armies, every single one was delivered because God promised. God did what he said he would do. And God was glorified, his covenant fulfilled by the strong and courageous faith of one man willing to lead despite what others thought of him. It is crucial to note that Joshua never took credit for these victories. He was also the least, or I'm sorry, the last to receive his inheritance in the land. You read Joshua, all of them begin to receive tribal inheritance. Different tribes receive different land. Caleb was the first to receive his inheritance. Joshua was the last to receive his inheritance. And it wasn't really a grand inheritance, to be honest, compared to other tribes and other individuals. Like what Judah got was much grander in a lot of ways than what Joshua got. And that's part of God's plan. But I'm I'm always amazed that Joshua, the great leader, received his inheritance last. And I can't help but think of what Jesus says in the New Testament, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That Joshua was last, but I believe in God's eyes, he was first in what he did for the nation of Israel. You see, he didn't care about getting credit. He didn't care about getting the biggest plot of land. He didn't care about anyone else knowing what was going on. All he cared about was, am I pleasing the Father? Am I obedient to him and to his word? You see, he had strong and courageous faith due to the Lord in him, not in himself. So I want to close with this. We're going to have a short time of invitation and then we'll go to communion. I know we went a little long this morning and I appreciate your patience and grace in that. But would you describe your faith in God as strong and courageous? Just right now between you and him, would you describe your faith that way? Would you say your faith in God is strong and courageous? To where you trust God and his word despite anything you see around you. 
And I know what you're thinking. Well, no, not perfectly. I'm not asking about perfect. I'm saying faithfully and consistently. Is that your desire? Is that what you're striving for? Do you put the word into action in your life or do you fear standing out for Christ among the crowd? To any students, teenagers, young people in here, those who work in secular jobs and factories and things like that or different uh, uh, occupations where you have a lot of unbelievers, do you fear standing out? Or do you stand out in spite of it and because God is glorified, you don't care? Do you know Christ is your Lord and Savior and live obedient faith because you have been delivered from sin and hell? And if not, what's keeping you from trusting him? So my challenge to you is this. Let's surrender to Christ and experience the victory that comes from faith in God and obedience to his word. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you for your word that goes before us. Lord, my words, my human words are are feeble and weak, insignificant to speak to the heart of what's going on in people's lives. But your word is sure. It is a firm foundation upon which we place and, and build our lives. So, Lord, I pray that as only you can, that you would go before us, Lord. Give us wisdom and guidance. Help us to apply these things that we might live in a different way than what we came in here living. And, Father, again, be glorified in all of this. Strengthen our faith. If anyone doesn't know you, I pray they'd come to know you before it's everlasting too late. Father, again, thank you for this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this, this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you come? If God is leading you to come and maybe bend a knee and pray and say, God, I want that kind of faith. I don't have it, but I want it, Lord. I want to trust you in your word. Help me to stop looking at the world around me and getting so concerned with that, but to trust in you and focusing on you. Would you respond this morning to what God is doing as we sing?